short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. Oh my God, fuck me. The American people, I think, is good people. They are—they have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. What's up, motherfucker? Welcome back to the Cold War show, Ray. Here, here. It is uh, episode one sixty-nine. Nice. Or Tito part seventy-three, um, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> So I know we're going to go into this, but at some point I would really like to hear your considered opinion about why in the hell the British and the Americans, for lack of a better word, gave the Eustacia a pass, a mighty, mighty big pass. A mighty, mighty big pass. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, I've got something here. Fitner's report says it all. He's a wild card. Lies by the seat of his pants. Completely unpredictable. He got you, didn't he? Yeah. Tell me one thing. You had to go into battle. Would you want him with you? I don't know. Just don't know. <laughs> I need to add yes. that. He's a wild card. Yeah. I need to add that in my, uh, my list of clips. Yeah. I got a Michael Ironside hard on. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> so do we. I'm going to start calling my <laughs> penis Ironside. Hey, Ironside. Good morning. Good morning to you. <laughs> Tell your penis that it's, it's, it's writing checks that it can't cash. Um, <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> we talked last time, Ray. Stop distracting yes. me with Michael no. Ironside, Ray. Uh, right. We talked last time about... You know, play, if you're going to make a movie about Tito, Michael Ironside oh. should be playing oh. Tito. Yes. Oh. And thank God he's still alive. That would be great. Because he is. Yeah, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> he is. He will, he will always live on. Um, the first yes. anti-communists to escape the country right. were between sort of ten and 12,000 Czechniks from Croatia under their leader, uh-huh. not Mikhailovich. We'll get to him later. But the Orthodox priest... Serbian. Duke Momchilo Julish. Did you take a look at this man? Did you look at his picture? I did. My testicles I did. shrunk. Yes. When I scared the fuck. <laughs> Michael Ironside in a beard that could hide a badger. <laughs> That's this guy. This guy, eyes of fucking steel with a beard that just won't quit. Scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Yeah, he, uh, like, if I had a priest that looked like that growing up. <laughs> I would have uh, been a good boy. I would have. Yeah. I would have let him, you know, rape me. I mean, I would have just been like, please, let's just <laughs> please. get it over with. It would with be now. an honor. Just stop looking for my at me. Ass. Right, yeah. right. Terrifying. <laughs> Terrifying looking. Kind of Rasputin. Yes. Think Rasputin. With uh, <laughs> yeah. Terrifying looking guy. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, he and his men were uh, the sort of the first guys to take up arms against the Ustasha back in 
May of 1941. Later, they teamed up with the Italians. When Italy dropped out of the war, Duke Julich uh, continued to fight the Eustatia, then made a deal with the Germans against (laughs) the partisans. He just likes to fight. He's an Orthodox priest that just likes to fight. Wow. Yeah. Fucking take anybody on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so in um, in the spring of 1945, trying to get the hell out of Dodge mm-hmm. when obviously the writing was on the cards, he led his division into Italy Oh, where he was sheltered by the Catholic Church. So uh-huh. he had been fighting the Catholics. Right. Then a few years later gets sheltered by the Catholics I guess the enemy of my enemy is my friend, basically. Right. Um, So uh, in 1946, the the British appointed a special commission under Fitzroy MacLean. (laughs) To screen the uh, rest of the the Yugoslav uh, displaced persons in Italy to determine who were refugees and who were war criminals trying to escape from justice. It's a bit like um, what they do here with uh, people arriving by boat from war-torn countries. We just throw them into concentration camps on islands. No worries. And we we don't call them that. Yeah. We call them, uh, you know, offshore hotels, but they're concentration camps. We throw them in while we spend the next five years half-heartedly trying to work out whether they're, uh, you know, innocent people on the run from war-torn countries that we created or if they're actually, uh, you know, bad people trying to sneak into our country. Follow-up question. Not not a great job to have to have, to be honest. Follow-up question. Like, how the the fuck do you figure out who these people are when they've just come from somewhere like Yugoslavia that's been bombed the fuck out of by Nazis and concentration camps run by Catholics and Italians bombing? I mean, how do you work out who's who in the zoo? It's tricky. So going back to Australia for a second, because they might potentially be criminals, when you put them into the hotel on the island, I'm assuming they can't leave if they say something like, I no longer want to pursue living in Australia. I would like to go now. Thank you. Oh, I think we're happy to send them back to the country okay. from which they came. All right, just can't come But most of them don't want to do that. Because they're legitimate. Mm. Gotcha. Legitimate refugees. All right. So McLean... Well... Some of them. We don't know if they are or they're some not. Yeah, see, that's the question, right. supposedly. Right. Anyway, don't get me no, started no. on that that's fucking... A- it's another whole thing. So McLean is looking into them to see if they're really refugees or criminals or whatever. And even though, and I think we discussed this in a previous show, he is, you know, sympathetic to Tito or there seemed to be a genuine friendship between them. He also respected these people who were fighting uh, against the uh, the Italians or the Germans or in various stages in the war. And so he's going to treat them decently. The Duke is going to go on to California. I think he becomes a roadie for the Beach Boys. I'm not don't quote me on that. And I think if a lot of his followers go to Britain in 1947. So some of these people are getting out. But then again, these are just kind of side players. Where's the big guys? Where's the Eustacia leadership? We'll be getting to that soon. But Tito, Churchill, Truman, Stalin, all these people have to worry about, you know, what's going to happen with these people. And is this information going to get out? 
Yeah, so this whole protecting guys like Zulich, uh, I mean, it's troubling, right? Yes. On one hand, the British, the British are sending uh, some people back to Yugoslavia. On the other hand, they're taking sort of the leaders, many of whom were accused and probably guilty of terrible war crimes, and they're protecting them. They're yes. hiding them out. Um, Zulich himself was tried and convicted in absentia in Yugoslavia for war crimes. They found him guilty of mass murder, torture, rape, robbery, and forcible confinement, as well as collaborating with the Germans and Italians. Damn. Now, of course, Tito himself also tried to collaborate with the Germans. <laughs> right. So... It happens in You war. know, uh, well, yeah. I mean, it's pretty hard to uh, uh, point the finger at somebody for something that you did yes. yourself. Yeah. Um, anyway, he was um, determined to be responsible for the deaths of 1,500 people, but he died in San Diego mm-hmm. in 1999, aged 92. Damn. So technically, a war criminal yes. being uh, protected by, at first, the British and then the United States, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you have to... You know, you have to wonder about the ethics and morality of harboring war criminals like that. It's not like, you know, from time to time, uh, Nazis get discovered still in yes. places like Argentina yes. or Spain, and they're taken back to, for trial in Israel or Germany sometimes. These guys just get protected by yeah. the Americans. Um, you know, Why? What's the motivation for protecting them, you said before? Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, you're an American. Why would Americans want to protect a war criminal? Um, I don't know the answer to that. I know normally in situations like this, it comes down to some particular um, event is going on or maybe the person has information or whatever. But I did run across an article by Mark Brahman who was a British officer on the border at the time that all this is going on, and he's in command of the the British 8th Army. And he and his men are part of the guys who are sending back those 26,000 um, lower-level Yugoslavs. A lot of them are going to end up being killed. Now, he says that, and he, and he pretty much listed, he goes, look, I know this was horrible. We get this was horrible. Um, and we heard later on that the people were, were being killed or executed. And the British troops actually felt, you know, they felt really bad. But this was his not so much justification, but explanation, because he's in, you know, he's not making these decisions. He says, one, Truman demanded that all these people be sent home. Churchill was trying to stay good with Truman, so he goes along with it. Two, it was a part of the Yalta conference for all these people to go back to their home countries. And I don't think they took into consideration changes of government or whatever, or maybe people don't want to go back to their country. Because when these um, 26,000 Yugoslavs are sent back to um, Yugoslavia, 70,000 Cossacks were also sent back to Russia. But unlike the Yugoslavs, who a lot of them end up being executed, the 70,000 Cossacks weren't executed. They were just released inside Russia as an internal exile. So you could argue that maybe the British didn't know what was going to happen to them per se. But supposedly there's a lot of politics involved. 
the British were devastated and they were thinking that if we can just get these people out of our concentration camps, maybe they'll send us home. So you're right when you said, I think it was on the previous show, some of these British troops said, oh yeah, this train is definitely going to Italy. Just hop on board and we'll get you there as soon as we can. And it goes to Yugoslavia. Sometimes they had to use force to put these people on trains. So the who, where, what, and why, why this was decided, who knows? I'm sure it was very nuanced. But at the time, at least for the British soldiers, they were hoping just to wrap up their assignment and go home. They hadn't been home in three years. There had been no leave. People who were wounded were fixed up and kept there. They were not allowed to go home in the last three years. And I think they just wanted to get back to their families. That was the only other angle I could find. Okay, well, by the time guys like uh, the Duke got to the US, Mm -hmm. like it took him a couple of years. I think he was in Paris for a few years and then he got to California sort of 1949, right about then, um, he, uh, you know, the, the America's in the Cold War ah. with the, the, the communists. Right. So they can't very well send a guy back to a communist country who's an enemy of the communists. They're not, they're, they're not, they're not going to send this guy back to the communists. Yeah. They hate the communists. Why should we help Tito? Yeah. So they're like, yeah, well, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you, communists. Right. We're not, we're not, although Tito, they were on good terms with Tito by then. But anyway, that's beside the point. They're not going to send him back to uh, a communist country. That's not going to look good in the media if you're like, well, on one hand, we hate the communists, they're evil. On the other hand, <laughs> we're, sending back. we're sending this guy back to the communists because he's more evil than they are. Um, it's a bad look. Bad PR. Yeah. Um, by the way, yep. I mean, this guy, the Duke, Duke Jujic. Uh, Duke of oil. Jujic. Right. Yeah. Um, didn't look nearly half as scary in his old age, but, you know, he's a lovely guy. You know, you'd say what you want about him, but, you know, he, he turned out to be quite a lovely chap. You know, uh-huh. I mean, he, you know, he, him and the, um, uh, who's the Dalai Lama. Right. So I was thinking of. Hard to tell them apart. Oh, wow. Um, he must have mellowed out. Yeah, I mean, he did. Like, like, here's a, California in 1989 grass. on the... In 1989, at the 600th anniversary of the Battle of Kosovo, right, um, he gave a speech where he ordered uh, he, he he called a guy called Vojislav Zelizh. He named him the Vojvoda of uh, the leader of Yugoslavia from you know from his from his uh, house in California. Right. He just said, you, you, "You now run Yugoslavia." <laughs> Um, and ordered him to expel all Croats, Albanians, and other foreign elements from holy Serbian soil. Fuck you. Saying he would only return to Serbia when it was cleansed of the last Jew, uh, Albanian, and Croat. More cleansing. So he was in California giving yeah. that speech, and Americans went, well, <laughs> look, you know. So, he's uh, old. He's old. He's old. Yeah. He's old. If he would. When he died. Yeah, right. Uh, in 1999, New York Times, please, the uh, you know reputable, f- fair, reputable, <laughs> neutral organization as we know it to be, uh, wrote an obit. Journalist David Binder wrote a, an obit where it just mentioned that uh, Jujic uh, participated in epic World War II battles and carried out many acts of wartime. Bravery. Um, Damn, that's so whitewashing. There you go. Barry and Stan got yeah. paid a mint for that one. Fuck. 
Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, Makes him sound like courageous. He's courageous. He's brave. He fought. Yeah. yeah. A hero. Yeah. Hero fought against the communists. Well, really, the Nazis and then the communists. <laughs> oh, my God. So, but the point New York is, Times get, whitewashing. Yes, he gets out. He, he's able to get out. He got out. Yeah. Now, uh, the partisans were hoping to intercept all of these hundreds of thousands of German and anti-communist Yugoslav troops who were trying to give themselves up to the British, Churchill, while well, he was still PM in early 1945, mm-hmm. before he got turfed out on his ass, made it clear that all surrendering Yugoslavs should be disarmed and then held in refugee camps until uh, a decision could be made about their future. Right. So for a while, they're sort of protected by the British. Yeah. I mean... You normally don't use the words concentration camp and protected in the same sentence. But in this time, let's gather them up. Let's take their arms away so they can't be a problem. And you're right. If they're in a camp, they can't get away and no one can get to them. And let's just see what's going to happen with these people. But it's all like, and I think this, yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to say, but this was before the elections, before the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia was declared. It didn't have a government. Things were still up in the air. Um, so he was like, well, listen, let's just keep them here until we work out what we're going to do with them. Keep them on ice. Of course, the partisans are trying to demand that they all get sent back to their country so they can, you know, you know, take care of their war criminals and people right. that fought with the Germans and with the Italians against their own people yeah. or, you know, you know, the Astasia, et cetera, that were killing their own people and putting them in concentration camps. Uh, Tito basically wanted to capture particularly the the political leaders of the NDH, of the independent state oh, of Croatia, yes. the, the Ustasha um, semi-state. On the 13th of May, 1945, he instructed his army, a group of Ustasha and some Chetniks, a total of 50,000 men, is reported by Third Army in the area towards Dravograd. It includes Pavelic, Marcek, the Croatian government, and a huge number of criminals. Mm. They are attempting to cross Dravograd and give themselves up to the British. You must move your forces most urgently from the Selja area in order to concentrate for an attack aimed at the annihilation of this column. But... Right. right. Um, as you've indicated, uh, we've seen the Ustasha leaders managed to get away. Yeah, somehow they end up, one, not getting killed, two, safely reaching Austria, and three, disappearing and ending up in better places in a couple years. Someone's doing that. Is it the Americans? Is it the British? It certainly isn't Tito, and it certainly isn't the communists. Someone's sheltering these people and getting them out of the area when they can. Yeah. Rat lines. We'll talk yes. about that a bit later. Yeah. Um also, Tito also is clashing with the British at this stage over an area called Carinthia, southern Carinthia on the northern border of Slovenia, sort of the southern area of Austria. Mm-hmm. He, he told the British, Tito told the British that he had the Soviet Union support <laughs> to lay claim to this area. Right. It Stalin was a said I could bluff. Have right, right. Yeah. Stalin said I could have it. It was a bluff, but it worked. And particularly because he's got, <laughs> he's got troops on the ground. Yes. And um, 
probably as a result of this, his troops on the ground, he's getting a little bit aggressive with the British in these sorts of areas. Uh, in May of 1945, the British Fifth Corps decided to repatriate all of the Yugoslavs they had under their control. Mm. April, Churchill said, keep them yes. in a camp. On the 17th of May, Brigadier Toby Lowe, Good name. which is an unfortunate <laughs> name, um, <laughs> Brigadier Toby Lowe. I'm not That's taking him name. seriously. Brigadier no, Toby? No, Toby? Toby I'm not taking orders from anyone called Toby. <laughs> Toby Lowe? No. <laughs> Sorry. What's that no, candy? Sorry. Tur- not taking. Not, yeah. Hey. <laughs> Toby. Toby Lone. Toblerone. To- Brigadier Toblerone. <laughs> <laughs> he gave an order that all Yugoslav nationals at present in the Corps will be handed over to Tito forces as soon as possible. Ooh. And the next day gave another order all need all non-Tito soldiers of Yugoslav nationality and such civilians of Yugoslav nationality as can be claimed as their camp followers should be handed over. Damn. So uh, this is where, as you said, they were put on trains, sent back. 26,000 anti-communist Yugoslavs sent back, sometimes tricked, uh, being told they were going to Italy. Um, and as you say, the troops were some of the British troops were revolted, but they just wanted to get over with. They had to follow yeah. orders. Um, according to Gilas, even the Yugoslavs yeah. were surprised that the British <laughs> had fallen for their bluff about the threat to annex that Corinthia. Worked. Fuck me! Um, yeah, like yeah. Uh, I don't know. I told them we already <laughs> had one. He believed me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so this works brilliantly. On June 9th, Tito signs a treaty that will get all of his troops out of the Corinthia and the Ven- Venezia Giuliani. So he, it looks like he's giving the British what they want, but he's getting what he wants. What's important to him is getting all these people back to try to find the war criminals to, to bring justice to them because... Over the years, this this has gotten personal, and it's time for him to make sure some people pay. Yeah. On the 27th of May, Tito gave a speech uh, where he made uh, somewhat of a veiled attack Mm. on the Soviet Union, which we will cover a bit later. Mm -hmm. But then he also called for punishment of all Yugoslav traitors, and this apparently led to the massacre of some or all of the people that were repatriated. Right. Now, were they traitors because they tried to leave or were they traitors because of what they'd done during the mm-hmm. war? Kind of have to assume that the people who were leaving, large part of them probably yeah. were the enemies of the partisans yes. during the war. Get the fuck out. Now, if, you, if you're on a different side um, of the victors during a civil war, I don't think that technically makes you an enemy of the state. Unless they decide. But, yeah. <laughs> well, but if you were fighting, if you both the Chetniks and the um, Ustasha were allied with the Germans and the Italians mm-hmm. at various points. Right. Which does, so you are collaborators. Now, yes... Tito tried to do a deal with the Germans at one stage, but it was mostly to fight against the British, not to collaborate against right. other, yeah. uh, to fight against other Yugoslavs. Yeah. 
So maybe maybe that's splitting hairs. I don't know, but I do think it's it's a fair guess to say the people that are leaving, many of them were probably German and Italian collaborators. Therefore, they were traitors. Therefore, they are enemies of the state. Should they all be executed? Probably not. Um, I'm not a big fan of execution. Yes. There should be punishment, but not necessarily execution. But again, when you have a state in this condition, probably don't have a very good justice system in place where you can try 50,000 people. Right probably don't have jails to no. put them in or people to run the jails, probably don't have the economics to feed, uh, costs a lot of money to keep people in jails. So, yeah, again, not trying to justify execution over imprisonment, but there are probably good realpolitik reasons why execution is seen as the most practical solution in situations like this in a war-torn country that is still behind the eight ball and is trying to cope with all of this. And at the end of the day, it's Tito's decision. As far as we know, he made that decision. So they're getting these lower-level people for, you know, whatever their status was during the war. But again, what about the big fish? On May 13th, Ante Pavelic, the leader of the independent state of Croatia, as you said, uh, he, the Ustasha Minister of the Interior, Andrija Artukovic, Minister of Religious Affairs, Mile Budak, Archbishop of Sarajevo, Sarajevo Ivan Sarek, and maybe even that, that uh, just, how do you say it, Janasovic? No, the concentration camp. That common... Jusenovic. Jusenovic. That concentration camp commander, Max Lubrik. They are all heading towards, I know I butchered that one. They are all heading towards the Aust- Austrian border with a column of people, but they are on the top list. You you know they've got to be on Tito's list, but they're, they're I guess they're interspersed amongst this massive column of 50,000 people, but you know Tito wants them. Yeah, Tito wants them, and, we, and if he knew they were traveling, that way, as we said, and he, he said before, he sent his guys to capture them. Yeah, you got to be sure that the British oh, yeah. knew it as well. They would have been able to see those guys, aerial reconnaissance and radio interception, all those sorts of things, ground observation. They would know where these guys were, and they knew that the Ustasha leaders were very high on the list of enemy war criminals, and they were they were supposed to be captured to stand trial. Mm-hmm. Their names, what they looked like, would have been well known to the British Intelligence Corps as well as the US Counterintelligence Corps. Yet somehow... Magic. They all managed to disappear into Austria and then turned up several years later in Argentina, Spain and the United States. Mm, What an odd. What a define the odds. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. For many years people tried to piece together how these guys escaped, who helped them, how they managed to get away. And the only first-hand account that we have was given by Pavelic's daughter, Maria, Mm -hmm. when she finally returned to Croatia to rebuild the Ustasha, now called the uh, Croatian Liberation Movement or the HOP, Hrvatski Ozlobodolaki Lashki Pochret. Sure. Don't argue with my pronunciation. No. That's exactly it how flawless. it's pronounced. Flawless. She gave an interview with a magazine in Zagreb mm-hmm. where she sort of talked about how they got out of Yugoslavia when she was a kid. We were lucky. We landed on an Austrian who saved father. 
for money. He put him up on a peasant estate in the Alps with false Austrian papers. Mm. The only person who lived with father in that house was a maid, an Italian woman. We, the family, lived elsewhere. We reported to the Americans as this zone was under American control. We met up with our father one to three times a week in the woods. He spent his time in the woods picking mushrooms and catching fish. He even sent us some of these and we in turn sent him some of the bread rations we received. One day at the end of summer 1945, it was raining and mother wasn't feeling well and she asked me to go out and meet father. I found him alone in the woods with a backpack preparing to escape. When he had gone home, the maid had waved as a signal that the police were there. Mm. So he's being protected early on in Austria. Um, And at this point in the interview, her husband, who was the president of the Croatian Liberation Movement at the time, interrupted to clarify who the policemen were. It was the Austrian police who were acting on behalf of the American Secret Service as well as the English. Had he been arrested, he would have certainly been handed over to Yugoslavia. He'd already once been in the hands of the Americans and the English, but they hadn't recognised him. Bullshit. How the fuck do they not recognise one of the most wanted... It's like them capturing Hitler and going... Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Mr. Cool Mustache. Oh, my name is... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, my name is uh, Hans Gruber. Uh... I just want to get to the Nakatomi building. For Can you Christmas, take me there? For a Christmas party. For Christ- Christmas party! <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I get very emotional when <laughs> I Christmas? think about all of the Jews <laughs> who are ruining a car. Sorry. 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 I, I meant uh, the Japanese <laughs> who uh, run the Nakatomi building. Hail Santa! And <laughs> sorry. I mean, uh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, yeah. I don't know. They let him go. Uh, Can we call which is, yeah. I mean, maybe. I mean, uh, he's pretty. Yeah. All of them got away. At the end of the day, you have to, and we've said this a billion times, um, you, you know, coincidences. All of them got away. All of the leadership got away. Come on, that's like winning the lottery 10 times in a row. It just doesn't happen but, on its own. But with this interview, she said her father had false papers, but she and her mother didn't have false papers, and they were under American control. They had to report to the Americans who assume I assume knew who they were. So yes. if you're the <laughs> you're yeah. the American Secret Service or <laughs> the, the American military police over the, there and you the best you, and the you, brightest. You know you've got them aren't to Okay, well, for America, that's not saying much. You've got Ante Pavelic's wife and children sure. in your control. You go, uh, right. where's your husband? Oh, we don't know. Really? Uh, you don't know? Who? No, we don't know. Okay. I haven't seen okay. it. Okay. You would keep it. Then they're sneaking into the forest to meet with him every other week. Like, yes. you think you'd be keeping an and eye on him, you can't figure right? this out? Yeah. You put yeah. on a fake tree costume and you follow her. <laughs> but anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. It's very... Very suspicious, the escape here. Now, the Cold War is not really in full swing at this juncture, so why would they want to help him escape? Uh, Maybe to keep an option up their sleeve? Maybe for Intel? 
yeah, maybe it's Keep, useful have to options. have some of these powerful guys. Yeah, have some options. Yes. Exactly. I always have options, yeah. Now, she also went on to explain that her father then lived for four years in Rome huh. before going on to Argentina. She said, we spent our childhood in Italy. There was no similar witch hunt going on there. Both father and mother managed to cross into Italy who helped us most? The Jesuit order. They sheltered father because he, because he had gone to a Jesuit school. According right. to their tradition, every pupil of theirs had an everlasting right to be sheltered. Aww. That's how they saved father. I've heard of the everlasting so gobstopper, but anyway. <laughs> the Jesuits helped protect the guy who ran the Catholic concentration camps. Jeez. Is that... Is that Father um, Dragonovich? Well, yeah. Well, um, sort of, yes. And he was another guy. He was a Franciscan, not a Jesuit. Ah. Um, yeah. Now, uh, Archbishop Sarich of Sarajevo, you mentioned before, he was another mm-hmm. Jesuit. But most of the Eustachia leaders were Franciscans. They're rivals to the Jesuits. Right. And the guy who they call the uh, Scarlet Pimpernel, who helped the Eustachia escape, was this Franciscan father, Krunoslav Drogonovich. Nice name. Um, he was a former professor of theology at Zagreb, one of the guys who masterminded the, the laws against <sighs> the Serbs and the Jews. Jeez. Military chaplain for a while at Jasenovac concentration camp. Then he was an emissary to Rome from 1942 onwards. From Rome, he helped run the Rat Lines, the mm. uh, organisation that was coming up with false papers, travel documents, bribes and safe houses for Nazi and Ustasha members. He's yeah, a but he's a Franciscan. We know all about oh, the Franciscans, right? Does that trump like if, being a man of God? <laughs> well, the Franciscans were like uh, the guys who uh, hated the Jews. They, uh, you know, they they hated the Jews so much. Right. He's not a Catholic, basically hardcore. I mean, Fra- Saint Francis of Assisi was a pussy. Right. Uh, the Franciscans. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, they were hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. So they were uh, happy to help these guys because they uh, hated the Jews. Wow! So they were gonna they were gonna save them, get them out into to safe places, and that's what this guy did. Ran a massive organization via the Vatican to save leading Nazis and Ustasha members. There was another guy known as the Yugoslav Himmler, Andrea <laughs> Artukovic. He also spent some time in a British camp, and then they let him go. Irish wow. historian Hubert Butler called it a mysterious intervention. I, I think it's probably Jesus. I think so. Uh, helped out. Jesus there. Yeah. came in. But he, hey. had, he had a British stamp on his passport declaring that he was not a danger to public order or security. And the, the British don't just accidentally stamp your passport or whatever forms you have. I mean, that's just bullshit. Obviously... He would, someone's either bribed or paid or the British wanted to keep this guy in play in case they needed him later. But again, this is another, I think this is a complete American and British counterintelligence um, operation because all of these guys get away scot-free. So I, I think you're right. I think um, 
at the very least, even though the Cold War is not in high gear right now, Tito is a communist. Uh, he's not a part of yeah. the Western alliance, and they're going to just keep their options open. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah. We may need right. their intel networks yeah. to fight the communists. Exactly. There is some suggestion, too, that this uh, the Himmler, the Yugoslav Himmler, Artukovich, was a British intelligence agent even, even before the Second World War. <laughs> they play a deep mm. game. Mm. So through the Franciscan Father Draganovic, who he met at an Austrian monastery in 1946, Artukovic got to Switzerland, then to the Republic of Ireland, where he spent a year being protected by the Franciscans in Dublin, oh and then he went to join his brother also in California. Aww. So, you know, California... Yeah, California dreaming. They were. They just. <laughs> they were. Ro- they they were roadies for the Beach Boys, for the Grateful Dead. Yeah, was, the, well, you know they they, yeah. they invented the hippie movement. Right. Now, the nearly all the prominent Eustacia got away. The the novelist Mille Budak, who was the sort of the media guy, the PR guy for uh, the propag- minister propaganda for the Eustacia. He was the guy that first uh, gave the speech about we're going to convert a third, expel a third, oh, and kill a third. Right. He ended up as a security advisor to Juan Perón in Argentina. Oh. The Archbishop of Sarajevo, Sarich, retired to Spain, continued to write poems praising Archbishop <laughs> Stepanach and Ante Pavelic. <laughs> the commandant of the Jasenovac concentration camp, Luburich, Right. Ended up retiring to a villa in Spain. Now, nice. he later broke with Pavelic and formed an, a terrorist organisation that was very prominent here in Australia. Damn. As well as in Europe and other parts of the world, including the United States, called the Croatian National Resistance, a.k.a. Otpor, oh, or damn. the HNO. Right. They had a particular terrorist organisation called Drina, which was active well into the 1970s. And, in fact, um, the Australian couple who just listened to 10 of our episodes told me about a book that uh, a leading Australian journalist, Tony Jones, has recently written. It's called The 20th Man, and it's about Mm. Otpor and some of their uh, 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 terrorist uh, terrorist, uh, operations in Australia, involving Australia. So um, I'm going to get give me a copy of that, going to have a read of that, like Tony Jones, good journalist. So, yeah, they they went off and they found – so the Americans and the British protected them and they went off and they set up a terrorist (laughs) organisation. Thank you. So anyway, so about a half a million opponents of Tito – they do get away, but obviously the vast majority of Yugoslavians stay, like the Serbs and the Croat nationalists. But there are, but they're not really much of a problem. The only armed resistance to Tito are some of the few Ustasha in Croatia and in western Bosnia Herzegovina, and even more Chechniks in eastern Bosnia, Montenegro, and western Serbia. So he's got some opposition. But only a percentage of them are armed, and those are the ones that he has to deal with first because they're the ones who are they're going to come out shooting. And like you said, they're going to try and get their country back. Before we leave uh, Lubrich, yeah. who oh, set sorry. up the terrorist organization, I wanted to point out that uh, in April 1969, he was found murdered in his home. Yeah, sounds right. Either by the Yugoslav secret police or by rivals in the 
Croatian emigre community, it's unclear. It's never really been solved, and there's been right. evidence that goes both ways. But at his funeral in Madrid, uh-huh. hundreds of Croatian nationalists uh, were there in Ustasha uniform, Fuck. chanting Ustasha slogans and delivering fascist salutes. That's yeah. They should have all been arrested. But in Madrid. In 1969, that's, that's, this guy was protected by the Americans and the British yeah. and the Franciscans and the Vatican. That's power. To continue running a fascist organization. That's so, power. Uh, um, if I get, There you go. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. That's incredible. Uh, but getting back to why so many people who are the Yugoslav anti-communists are not fighting back actively, and you said this in the previous episode, I believe, they have hope. They have this idea that the Western powers are going to step in and save their beloved Yugoslavia from the threat of communism. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they were trying to ramp up support from the West to, uh, you know, take down communist government in Yugoslavia. Yeah. We know that back in 1943, Roosevelt's favorite Catholic, Cardinal Spellman, <laughs> told one of the representatives of the Eustatia that the United States wanted an independent Roman Catholic Croatia. So the Americans had sort of been building that dream for a few years. And, you know, there was no reason for these... Ustasha to believe that the Americans saw, you know, had a different, had changed their mind, had a different view, particularly as we got into the Cold War and the anti communist rhetoric built up. And also, until the very end of the war, as we've mentioned earlier, the US government continued to back the Chetniks in Serbia. Yes. So they weren't really getting behind the partisans, they were supporting everybody but the partisans. <laughs> right. Uh, Gila says that as late as August 1946, the American embassy was still giving people ideas that they might get involved and intervene. He said its employees were arrogant and provocative, even going so far as to promise certain individuals, our enemies and some leaders of former parties, that parachute troops would take over Belgrade and the Navy would seize the Adriatic coast. Now, again... Keep in mind that the British uh, are fighting the Greek communists in Greece. The Greek communists who won the war for the Greeks yes. and are now being at- attacked by the British um, and, you know, shooting up the, um, the, the fucking Pantheon. Mm-hmm. No, the Parthenon, the other one. Shooting up the Parthenon um, to reinstall the Greek monarchy here. So this is, you know, this, this was not something that was beyond the realms of imagination that the West would get involved to destroy communists and restore a monarchy. This was actually happening next door in Greece at the time, and uh, the Americans were giving them hope here. So, uh, yeah, they they really did believe that they were going to get be given their country back. But in terms of inside of Yugoslavia, the Ustasha resistance crumbled because it didn't have any support from the the Croatian peasantry. But the Chetniks were still fairly popular in Serbia. Most of them shaved off their beards after the war and sort of only acted as part-time guerrillas. The um, secret, the the Yugoslav secret police, the Osna, as they were known at the time, the forerunners of the UDBA, UDBA, 
uh, kept searching for the Chetniks um, and basically, uh, uh, you know, they could be a little bit brutal at yes. the time. Uh, there was one story where one of the secret police in eastern Bosnia put on display the severed head of oh, a Chetnik right. that they had covered. And even, even Rankovic, who was the head of the secret police, was uh, apparently appalled by that. He's yeah. like, well, listen, like, if you have to chop off a head... I get that. I get it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. who doesn't want to chop off a head from time to time? It but you solves- don't You don't walk around in public. Right. It you know, you just problems, put it in a box but- like Al Swearingen. Yeah. <laughs> like Al Swearingen, you keep it in a box talk and you talk to it from time yeah. to time. Or, yeah. Or you heathen... Anyway. Heathen, yeah. heathen cocksuckers probably <laughs> had a, don't understand what I'm going through, trying to run Deadwood. Yeah. Tito went to Moscow again. In May of 1946, Right. he got another invite to visit Moscow with his leadership team. Oh, thank you. Now, right. Yeah. What do we know about invitations like this? What's rule number one, right? Um, find a reason not to go or to send someone else in your stead. Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't, don't go <laughs> to changing to try and please me. Yeah. Don't go to parties yeah, in your it. honor. <laughs> Never worked so well before. <laughs> but he did. He went. He and his inner circle, everyone except Gilas, I think, Damn. when Gilas had other business, he had to stay home. Right. Um, they had hours of uneventful meetings with Stalin. Stalin was like, how's it going? And they went, yeah, pretty yeah. good. Oh, good, good. Then oh, they got to the real mean <gasps> purpose of the visit, right. drinking. Yes. They had dinner at one of Stalin's dashes. The, when the drinking started, uh, according to uh, one of the biographies I read, Stalin, I think Fitzroy McLean, this it was in his book. When the drinking started, Stalin started dancing. Oh, shit. Um, Molotov cried out, how vigorous you are, comrade Yosef Vissarionovich. But Stalin was a little bit sad. Uh Stalin, vodka, vodka. No, I shall not live much longer, he said. The laws of nature are taking their course. But his companions protested, no, no, comrade Yosef. We need you. You still have a long life ahead of you. No, said Stalin. The laws of nature are taking their course. Oh, my God. Then. I'm not going to cry. He apparently looked at, according to Molotov, he looked at Tito. Tito, he said, should take care of himself and see nothing happens to him. Because I have not much longer to live and he will remain for Europe. Churchill said Tito was a good man. He said so three times. In the end, I replied, I really don't know, but if you say so, I suppose he must be good. I will also do my best to get to know Tito. So I, apparently Stalin was a bit like Trump. Right. I don't know. Churchill tells me Tito's a good man. That's what he says, but if... If Churchill says that Tito's a good man, maybe he's a good man. I true. don't know. I get to know Tito. Yeah. Churchill told me that hydroxychloroquine is good for things like <laughs> coronavirus. I'm going to start and taking it. And ingrown toenails. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> I'm injecting bleaching into my ass, bleaching into my ass. It's, I don't know if it oh. helps. Churchill said it's good. That reminds me, I've got I've a heard bleaching. Churchill said I've good got things. a bleaching appointment. So, <laughs> yeah, Mary, you and Mary's little lamb. So, a fascinating story here. Stalin's doing his best to get on to good terms with Tito wow. because Churchill told him wow. to. Wow. What the fuck is going on with this topsy-turvy yes. world, right? I was going to say the tables Tito. have turned. Exactly. Well, Tito's in the middle. He's bet- The Tito's have turned. He, the Tito's have turned. He's in between the West. He's in between Russia. He's a power player. He's bitch-slapping anybody that messes with him. Maybe he is the up-and-coming uh, person. I don't know. But uh, I have read books where Stalin, people have said Stalin, by the time the war ended, he had aged so many fucking years because of all the stress of the war. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he truly did feel that his time was about to come to an end. You know what it is? Yeah. Tito, Tito's the future. Stalin is the past. Yeah. Now, remember with Churchill, when he met with uh, Tito on Viz, mm-hmm. Was it on Viz? I think it was on Viz. Was it somewhere uh, there. Naples? Yeah. Um, yeah, somewhere like that. Naples, yeah, I, I think. think. You're right. Well, just just near Viz, anyway. But anyway, they um, remember they they partied and 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 Tito's security guards pulled oh, guns on Churchill <laughs> when he came in the door unexpectedly. Churchill pulled out his cigar case yeah. and said, "One move, and Tito gets it." <laughs> and they all had a good laugh. <laughs> good times. Good times. <laughs> good times. <laughs> So Churchill obviously developed an affection for Tito as a result of that, even though they've they've had some problems right. in the meantime. And, and he apparently said good things to Stalin, and he's convinced Stalin that this other communist is a good guy. So I don't know, mind boggles. Yes. Anyway, then according to according to Fitzroy MacLean, um, Stalin started dancing again, grabbed Tito by the arm, started twirling him around. Oh, God. Then lifted him three times in the air like a fucking ballerina in the Bolshoi. <laughs> That's hot. And said, there's still some strength left in me. So um, it's just like party times with yeah. Stalin. Oh, my God. He's, 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 he's letting he's, his hair down. He's swinging. He's letting his hair down, swinging Tito up in the air. Like, we, you'd fucking kill to be there to see that. Yeah. Now, and again, like when when we talk about Stalin's character, I know I've done this a lot, but does that fit with the Stalin that you no. grew up <laughs> learning about? No. He's dancing around, no. picks Tito up, throw, grabs him, twirls him around, throws him up in the air like a ballerina and giggles like a little girl. Like that's... Yeah. That I mean, who does that? Well, Can you imagine Trump dancing and grabbing somebody and twirling them around and throwing them up in the air? Only if he grabbed them by the pussy. But uh, uh, yeah, he would do that. Well, yeah. no, I, I recently read a book that said Stalin. He never said anything was good or great or wonderful. No matter what you did, the best he would ever say is that's fine. So you always felt Duh. like you had, you had to work harder to, to earn this guy. So ha- now here he is talking, joking, laughing, dancing or whatever. I think he's either losing his mind or he's letting down his guard just for a moment, maybe to try to really connect with Tito. Who knows? But this is a side of Stalin I've never seen before. Now, President Kalinin had just died. And at his funeral, Tito was chosen from all of the foreign visitors and emissaries who came to stand on Lenin's tomb with Stalin and the Politburo. Wow. He's which 
obviously an incredible honour. Yes. Um, he died of cancer, by the way, in case people are wondering <laughs> what <laughs> happened to him. He, uh, yeah, he'd retired and then died of cancer in uh, 1946. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, his wife obviously wasn't so successful. Uh, I think we mentioned her before, Ekaterina Kalanina. She was arrested in 1938 on charges of being a Trotskyist. <sighs> And, uh, yeah. yeah, she she had spent, uh, I think she was sentenced to 15 years in prison Fuck. and was released shortly before he died. So, anyway, kept him in line. But right. he died of cancer. Um, All natural. And, yeah, Stalin was just apparently very, very, very friendly, yeah. happy, agreeable, affable, all too good to be true. <laughs> anyway, by the time Tito got home, right. it was time... For the trial of the Chetniks. Ooh. So hopefully you listeners will remember Drazna Mikhailovich, who was at one time being seen as the guy who was supported by the West, who could take on the Germans and the Italians. But if you'll remember, he's the one who um, got drunk one day and he said all the things he wanted to do before fighting the Germans and the Italians, and it was pretty much settling scores in Yugoslavia. So he eventually gets pushed by the wayside. But he is captured in March of 1946, betrayed by one of his own senior commanders because that person was turned by the OZNA. You mentioned a second ago that it's either the secret police or the secret service. So they're able to turn him. They're able to draw this guy in. And finally, they have Drozna in jail. But... The details of his capture were kept quiet for 16 years because this was so sensitive. If they'd found out the way that this guy was captured, there would have been uh, not civil war, but there certainly would have been terrorist attacks because this guy, if you if you deal with him in a wrong way, he could quickly become a martyr. And that would be the spark to, to, to launch some kind of civil war, which is exactly what Tito is trying to avoid. But at the same time, he's got to deal with this guy. Yeah. By the time he was captured, he was he had only four companions with him. Everyone else had been killed Damn. or captured or deserted him. Damn. So he was hiding out on the border of Bosnia and Serbia. Um, his men that were left dug him a trench hidden in the woods near a little village, like a foxhole, right. half open with some straw in it, and that's where he was living. A bit like Saddam yes. Hussein at the end, living yes. in a living in a hole. Pit, yeah. I think the same with uh, Gaddafi in Libya was found hiding in a hole in the ground somewhere. Yeah. Um, and at night, if it was safe, he would uh, go to a house in the village where he could get some food. So one evening, uh, he crept out of his hole, went to the house. When he got there, he found Tito's police. As you said, there had been a trap. One of his commanders had been uh, had set him up. Now, Rankovich, the head of the secret police, was away in Moscow with Tito when this happened. So Zhilas was uh, taking command of putting together the prosecution case. And they decided that uh, it had to be a fair trial. Uh, they, they, they were very, very conscious of international condemnation for uh, remember this guy was the the uh, like the head of the military for the government in exile based in london appointed by the king so they had to make sure that they did this by the book they didn't want accusations of a kangaroo court 
So the, all of the judges and the prosecution lawyer were Serbs from Serbia, part of Mihalovic's people. And, uh, you know, they were really concentrating on his collaboration with the Germans as the crime that he was being charged with, not his opposition to communism. Uh, here's a quote, I think this is from Gilas. Uh, Mihalovic was not tortured, drugged, or made drunk, although he was given brandy. He gave his evidence honestly, for his conscience was clean, and he made a moving speech from the dock in which he quoted the poet Negosh on how he had been caught up in the whirlwind of the world. Tito was in two minds over the death sentence for what he admitted to be a political trial, but the leading triumvirate of Cardell, Gilas, and Rankovic told him that any other verdict would dismay the partisans and outrage the relatives of the Chetniks' victims. Tito bowed silently to the arguments more readily because he himself was not opposed. Yeah, he's got to go. Um, he's got to go. Um, and Fitzroy McLean's book has a whole chapter dedicated to this trial. Not to go, not going to go into it in too much detail, but... Um, when, when Gilas speaks about Mihalovic, he says he was a brave man, but, un, but mm-hmm. extraordinarily unstable in his views and in his decision-making. A, tradi- a traditionalist, he was incapable of grasping stormy times, let alone navigating through them. For him, the common people, especially Serbs, were deeply religious, patriotic, and in their good-natured way devoted to king and country. Mm. Although his units, sometimes at his direct orders, carried out mass crimes against the non-Serbian population, wantonly executing communists and their sympathisers, Draza himself was not considered harsh or fanatic. So the verdict was given on July 15th for him and his co-defendants. All 24 were found guilty of war crimes in collaboration with the enemy. Mihalovic and 10 others were sentenced to be shot and the remainder were given various terms of imprisonment. And two days later, the executions were carried out by firing squad, 17th of July, 1946. Mm -hmm. And as you can imagine, uh, despite the fair trial... right. There were international observers there, and Mihalovic was able to give his evidence, and he, uh, you know, spoke quite openly and quite lengthily on his own behalf. Uh, it, it caused massive condemnation from the West. People like Churchill and De Gaulle, in particular, yes. were outraged at the execution of Mihalovic. So this is in 1946, and this is where. You know, uh, uh, the West really starts to turn in a big way against Tito. There is more to come, particularly with the trial of uh, Stepinovac, which uh, happens uh, a year later. But, uh, well, no, actually happens not not too long after this. September 1946, it begins. But anyway, we'll have to leave that for next time, I think, because uh, we're out of time, baby. So sorry. I felt wrong. <laughs> Is this where I play the music? The Jew hammer. <laughs> uh, <coughs> quite the racist. Tell me about yeah. Mary <laughs> Lim. Her ass was white as snow. Because <laughs> she had it bleached. The Mary or the lamb? I'm confused. Both. Uh, two for one. Two for one sale that day. It was a memorable day, my friend. 
my advice is get the sheet bleached first and then your ass because you don't want to hang out afterwards. You just want to go home and put your feet up after good bleaching. Anyway. I'm going to hell.